Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us from Genesis chapter 6 and how the Holy Spirit is like our judge, umpire, or referee in our lives. This message is available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org. Let's start off our lesson this morning in class as we look to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you so much for your presence with us, Lord. That's the best of all. And Lord, we're all gathered here this morning, and our eyes are to you, and we're expectant, and we're looking forward to what you're going to teach us. So teach us now, Lord, as we open your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, Genesis chapter 6, if you follow along as we again probe out this wonderful truth in this passage here. Genesis 6, 1 through 8, it came to pass when the men began to, when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair and took them wives of all they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh, and his days shall be 120 years. There were giants in the earth in those days, also that when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, they bare children to them. The same became mighty men, which were of old, men of renown. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, the creeping thing, the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Now, last week we looked at this really captivating truth that in verse uh, 3 here, Genesis 6, 6, 3, where the Lord said, my spirit shall not always strive with man. God striving with man. That was so amazing to read. And from the time of each person's birth, God's spirit, what we learn is that he starts the process. God's spirit starts the process of striving with that lost sinner to bring him to repentance so he can receive God's salvation gift. And that striving starts when he comes into the world. And that's what's described in John 1, 9. When it talks about the Lord Jesus Christ, it says, that was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. And that striving is a true light, and it's a light that lights every man from the time of his birth to dispel the darkness of the deception of his own heart. So then we ask the question, this is interesting, you say, well, God's spirit striving with man, how does that work? Exactly how does the spirit of God bring this light, this by striving with man. And we saw that it was all tied up in the meaning of the Hebrew word that's used there, dun, which is the word that has the underlying meaning of judge or umpire or referee. And so we said that in the game of life, the Spirit of God plays the role of the umpire, the referee. There's the play. Both sides have their opinions. One side said he was offside. The other side said he wasn't offside. But if it's a civil game, then both the sides look to the ref to make the call. And he makes the final call, offsides. Now, same way, in the same way, the Spirit of God comes as the referee in the lives of men, in our lives too. And we may have our opinion, what's well, so bad? It's not so bad. 
It's not so bad. But the Spirit of God comes as the referee, and he says, you're guilty, it was sin. That's what he does. And what happens in a game when the players just stop listening to the referee? Well, that game now is in jeopardy of being stopped. And that's what's happening here in Genesis 6. The players in life have decided to disregard the Spirit of God as the referee in Genesis 6, 5. And the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth. Every imagination of thought of his heart was only evil continually. So the players are not listening to the referee anymore. So God is about to say, game over, and then brings in the flood. Now, last week we saw also another picture of the Holy Spirit as he strives with man. And we saw that in John 16, 13, the great passage that the Lord Jesus Christ uh, gave to describe to us and tell us who is the Holy Spirit, what he does. And in that passage, in verse 13, we saw a very, very interesting description of his work. And it says there that when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. He's the guide. He's the guide into all truth. That's what we're doing in our quiet times with God. We meet with God. We have an open heart. We have an open Bible. And we ask the Spirit of God to please guide us into all truth as we read. That's what the Holy Spirit does when the lost sinner cries out to God and says, oh God, show me the truth. Then the Holy Spirit comes and he guides that sinner. And he guides him right on past the sham argument that, well, geologists say that the earth is billions of years old, but Genesis says it's only thousands of years old. He guides him right on past that sham argument. And then the Holy Spirit guides him right on past the sham argument of, uh, well, the Bible says that God created man, but science says that we all evolved out of some primordial pool of slime got to be true. I saw it on PBS. (laughs) And the Holy Spirit just guides him past all that, see? And the Holy Spirit guides him right on past the argument that, well, the Bible's been translated so many times, it's impossible to know what it says in the originals. We have no idea. We have no idea what it said. I saw the movie, The Da Vinci Code, with Tom Hanks, and we can't, can't trust the Bible. He guides him right on past that argument, because the Holy Spirit knows exactly where he's going to take the person, the lost sinner, and he's like a homing pigeon, and he faithfully just guides them past everything until he brings them to the cross. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He brings them to the cross, to the truth of the cross, and he parks that sinner at the cross And then he guides that sinner's eyes upward as if to say, do you see that cross? Do you know who's on that cross? It's God become a man dying for your sins. That's an important truth that he guides him to. And and the Holy Spirit reminds him, do you remember what he said? He said, come unto me, all ye labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. And the Holy Spirit then guides that sinner to understand that the Lord Jesus was speaking to him when he said, come unto me. And the Holy Spirit then guides that sinner to understand that what he's looking at there on the cross, the death is an actually a transaction that's being made. It's a payment 
that's being made for that sinner's crimes against God. And then he's being told there at the cross, that's a sacrifice, it's a free gift. You can take it. You should take it. You must take it. And the Holy Spirit then guides by urging that sinner as the referee. He's urging him to respond to the call of God. And when the sinner does not respond, then the Holy Spirit comes along and he says, I convict you of your sin of not believing. That's what he does. And then the Holy Spirit guides him to understand that there's a meaning behind the resurrection. It's not just a story. There's a message there. And what that resurrection is all about when God raised him from the dead was God was saying, he alone is righteous in himself. And if you do not make his righteous soul your offering for sin, I caution you, the Holy Spirit says, that you'll never have an acceptable offering for your soul. That's it. And then the Holy Spirit takes him and guides him by saying, take a look again at the cross. And he says, when you're looking at the cross, you're looking at a battleground. You're looking at a decisive battleground. It's a Waterloo there. It's the battle of the bulge there. Because there's the battleground where that was the defeat of the serpent from the Garden of Eden. And so you're not only watching the bruising of his heel up there on the cross, but you're watching the crushing of the head of the serpent there. And so he says, I warn you. He says, the prince of this world is judged. Judgment, prince of the world judged. And he's saying, I'm warning you, the Holy Spirit says, if you don't join the victor, the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll meet the same fate, the one who was defeated at the cross. Now, that's the truth that the Holy Spirit guides the sinner into. That's the truth. It's the truth of the cross. It's the most important. It's the pivotal truth of the universe. That's it. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit, to guide men to the cross where he convicts them of their sin of not believing by, because they don't make his soul, their offering for their sin. He guides them to the cross and cautions them, cautions them, do not disregard the resurrection. That was God's only stamp of approval. God only had one stamp of approval on a sacrifice, and it was for his righteous servant who's able to justify you. That's what the Holy Spirit's saying. And you'll never have an opportunity to have your sins erased if you don't respond. And he guides them to look carefully and realize that the prince, the devil, who they are a child of, was defeated and judged there. So we saw all of that. So we saw also last week from John 18 how as the Lord Jesus Christ, after his beating, where his, the flesh was ripped from his back, and he's standing there before Pilate, And Pilate asked the question, what is truth? And the Lord Jesus Christ answered that question without even saying a word, in a sense. Pilate's question, what is is truth, was just being answered by the Lord Jesus Christ standing there dying in front of Pilate. 
That was the answer to what is truth. Without words, his dying form, he was dying, spoke loud and clear to Pilate. What's truth, Pilate? Truth are these wounds that you're looking at because those are wounds for your transgressions, Pilate. What's truth, Pilate? Truth are these bruises that you see because those bruises for your iniquities. What's truth, Pilate? Truth are the stripes that you see which are for your healing, Pilate. What's truth, Pilate? Pilate, look at the griefs and the sorrows. My griefs, my sorrows, they're really, truth is, they're your griefs that I'm carrying, and they're your sorrow that I'm bearing, they're your sorrows that I'm carrying now, Pilate. Truth is that I'm willingly here, Pilate, and I'm here so that you, Pilate, can make my soul your offering for sin. That's truth. And if you do that, you'll be justified to God, Pilate, because I can make intercession for you, Pilate, the transgressor. That's truth. Now, that's the guiding into the truth, and that's the work of the Holy Spirit, and that's the same work that he's called us to do. We'll see that in a moment. And because a key verse for this, and uh, yeah, you should turn, please, to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19, verse 10. And uh, this is a key verse because it's the one statement that the Lord Jesus Christ made about himself, his work, that really sums up his whole mission. Luke 19.10. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Now, you've heard this verse before. What's very important is the context in which this verse was spoken. Tom, the last scene of Pilate asking the Lord Jesus Christ, what is truth? is in response to probably one of the most profound statements that I've ever heard the Lord make. Now, why did Pilate ask that? You know, that scene, as we've just seen it there, is absolutely, it's dramatic, it shakes you. Because when you think about it, there's the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of glory, the Lamb of God, and he's right in front of Pilate, suffering In essence, this is part of the process of the Lamb of God being offered. And he's there, he's ripped apart, he's bleeding, he's standing in front of Pilate. And what he is really showing Pilate there is that this is the truth of the Lord dying for our sins. When it says in Isaiah 53, 4 and 5, that's the truth. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities and the chastisement or the punishment of our peace was upon him and with his stripes we are healed. That scene, the suffering of the Lord Jesus Christ, is for us the most important truth. Why? Because of Psalm 85.10, we so desperately need mercy, and yet truth is that we deserve judgment. But Psalm 85.10 says, mercy and truth are met together, righteousness and peace have kissed each other. And what Pilate was looking at in front of him was the Lord Jesus Christ, the embodiment of mercy, the embodiment of truth, and in him, the mercy of God and the truth of God meet together 
in him the righteousness of God, which demands judgment, and the peace of God have kissed each other in him. And Pilate was seeing all that because the fact is, is that the greatest obstacle that we have, that any person has, is to be able to spend eternity with God in heaven. Man's sins is the greatest obstacle that man has to be able to spend eternity with God in heaven. It's the sin of man. Why? Because, for example, just when the, the, the one commandment of not taking the Lord's name in vain, in Deuteronomy 5.11, it says, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Why? For the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. Let's be honest, who has not taken the name of God in vain, either in actual saying it or thinking it? So we're all guilty of this. And the Lord says, we will not escape judgment. He will not hold us guiltless that takes his name in vain. It's something that we have done. It's a sin. We will pay for it. In Revelation 20:12, it says that when John saw the dead, the small and great, stand before God, he says the books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. So in other words, every time anyone takes the name of the Lord in vain, it's written down. It's written down in what are called the books. And those books are opened at the final judgment when God does not hold him guiltless that takes his name in vain in every other sin. And so God will judge sins. And therefore, all sinners will not spend eternity with God in heaven unless they have the only way that God has prescribed to remove that obstacle, to remove the sins that are standing in the way of each person going to heaven, and that's by the suffering of the Lord. That's why that great truth is that the Lord Jesus Christ died for our sins, standing in front of Pilate, was bearing witness of the truth, even though the Lord was not even speaking, the Pilate could see this great truth. What truth? The truth that God has given, as it says in Leviticus 17, 11. He says, the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your sins. For it's the blood that maketh an atonement for the sins. And so what Pilate saw as he was watching the Lord Jesus Christ is he saw the gift of God, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He saw the gift of God, which is eternal life, through our Lord Jesus Christ. When he looked at the Lord Jesus Christ, he saw the the son that was given. He saw the great gift of God. And the great gift of God was God the Son be made flesh having the life of his flesh in him, having the blood which speaks of the pure sinless life, the only one who was pure and sinless, the Lord Jesus Christ, the blood of the Lord, he was watching the blood of the Lord shed. And as he was standing there in front of Pilate, and small pools of blood were collecting, which were dripping from his body. What Pilate was seeing was the great truth of Leviticus 17.11. He was seeing that the gift of God was the sacrifice, the only sacrifice that can take away sins, which is the suffering and death of the Lord Jesus Christ, 
Christ. He was watching that right in front of him. He was seeing God give an atonement for Pilate's soul, for every soul, as he was watching the suffering of the Lord. That's the great, great truth. And so because of that truth, that was why the Lord Jesus Christ said that he came to bear witness of the truth, in other words, to speak the truth. So he spoke the truth, but he also communicated the truth by his very suffering form there in front of Pilate. Tom, I was thinking as you were saying that, how Pilate had so many sins, and what he did not know or refused to know was that the remedy for all his sins was standing right there in front of him. Why did Pilate not fall down before the Lord or do as the one thief would do later that hung next to him on the cross and beg him to remember him when the Lord came into his kingdom? Isn't that amazing? That is so amazing that that there was Pilate, and of course all have sinned, not just Pilate, but all have sinned, as the Bible says, and come short of the glory of God. But there was Pilate who had so many sins, and he and standing right in front of him at that time, it's as if the Lord was saying to Pilate, Pilate, I'm speaking to you right now. Pilate, this is a message for you. I am bearing witness to the truth for you, the truth, Pilate, that you are also among the all that have sinned and come short of the glory of God, that you also are among all that will be judged by their sin, for their sins, that you also are a candidate to be saved from your sins. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's all here for you, Pilate. It's standing. I am standing, the Lord could have said, right here in front of you for you, Pilate. But he didn't, he didn't know, or really, more accurately, he refused to know. You know, as the Lord was speaking this, we have to remember, we see on the surface, we see Pilate, we see the Lord Jesus Christ speaking to him, but what we don't see is what the Lord saw. And so as the Lord was speaking to Pilate, he was not only seeing his face, he was seeing Pilate's heart. And as he was looking at Pilate's heart, he saw exactly Pilate's position. You know, the Lord Jesus Christ said in John 9, 39, he said, For judgment I am come into this world, that they which see not might see, and that they which see might be made blind. Now, what does that mean, that he came into the world that they would see not might see, and that they would see might be made blind? What that means is that he came to do judgment on the heart, and he sees the heart, which we don't. And so when he looks at the heart, he sees those who want to see, who want to know the, who the Lord Jesus Christ is, who want to believe that he is God come in the flesh, that he has died for their sins. But they don't see it so clearly, but they want to. And so what does he do? He opens their eyes. He reveals himself to them so that they see. Those are they which, which see not, and he makes it so that they can see. Then, for the other group, who he calls those which see, those are the ones he, again, judgment, looking on the heart. He looks on their heart, and he says, they do see what they see. They see as Pilate sees. This is a man in in whom I find no fault. This is someone who, who because of envy, has really been, been, been falsely accused and delivered in front of me. This is a person who I really do believe is a king. He sees that, but... 
That's as far as it goes. And he doesn't want to see him as his God. Pilate does not want to see the Lord Jesus Christ as his Lord. He does not want to see the Lord Jesus Christ as his Savior that he will fall down in front of and and beg, as you said, the Lord for mercy and to be remembered when the Lord comes into his kingdom. He doesn't want to see those things. And so the Lord calls him, they would see. And what happens? The Lord says that he makes that person blind. It's just like when it said about Pharaoh. It says so many times Pharaoh hardened his heart, and then it says so many times God hardened Pharaoh's heart. In other words, God looked on Pharaoh's heart and saw that he had hardened his heart as to the call of God to repent, to let his people go. And so he said, and so because he saw that Pharaoh was hardening his heart, God says, I ratify that decision that Pharaoh has made, and I also will harden his heart. But the Lord Jesus Christ was standing right there in front of Pilate, and Pilate could have been saved if he only would have fallen down and worshipped him. Thank you for joining us today. Now, would you like a copy of today's message? You can find it for free and available for listening or download on friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org, or you can go to israelrestoration.org. Both websites, friendshipwithgod.org or israelrestoration.org, have all of Tom Cantor's messages available for MP3 download or listening, as well as many other resources, so visit our website today. Now, you can also call us at one 800 247-3051 if you'd like to reach a lost Jewish person with the gospel with a Tom Cantor DVD or testimony booklet. We can give that to you free if you know a lost Jewish person that needs to be reached with the gospel. We can mail them or give one to you to give to them. 1-800-247-3051 1-800-247-3051 or go to our website for more information.